FDIC is the only bank devoted exclusively to entrepreneurs, and we're committed to the success of women entrepreneurs and majority women-owned companies across Canada. As a proud partner of the Thrive Podcast, we're here to help you start, grow, or scale your business. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women today. Scotiabank is proud to co-present the Thrive Podcast for Women Entrepreneurs. Through the Scotiabank Women Initiative, Scotiabank aims to help advance women-led businesses with access to capital, education, and mentorship. To learn more, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Your insurance needs are as unique as the work you do and the industry you're in. Having the right protection in place is just the start. There's so much you can do to mitigate risks to your business for today and as you grow. At Sovereign Insurance, we're here to help with valuable information, insights, tips, and tools to help you protect your operations. Visit SovereignInsurance.ca to learn more. I landed a contract in Italy, but I need five freelancers to make it happen. I said, sure, let's chat over coffee. With Export Development Canada, risk doesn't stop you. EDC, take on the world. You're listening to The Thrive Podcast on the Startup Canada Podcast Network, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. On The Thrive Podcast, we connect you with leading experts, entrepreneurs, and organizations that provide capital, mentorship, training, tools, and other support to help you make your vision a reality even faster. This podcast is presented in partnership with Business Development Bank of Canada and Scotiabank. Make your way over to startupcan.ca forward slash podcasts to subscribe to the Thrive community. And subscribe to listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Google Play Music. Finally, we'd love for you to rate this podcast and leave a review on iTunes for the chance to have it read on air. We want these shows to impact as many people as possible, and your reviews will help us get there. I'm your host, Gomal Minhas, founder of CoreSpace, your one-stop shop for all things work, wellness, and impact. Visit kaur.space to find out more. I'm also the producer of Dream Girl, the documentary film showcasing the lives of inspiring and ambitious female entrepreneurs that we premiered at the Obama White House. I'm so happy to be here today. Welcome to the show. We're so thrilled to have Amber Mack on our show today. Amber is the president of Amber Mac Media, and Amber embodies the spirit of innovation with an interest in the Internet of Things, AI, and everything tech. She's always sharing her insights and experiences with the world through writing and hosting on multiple platforms and networks. Amber appears regularly on networks like CNN, Bloomberg, and SiriusXM, and is the author of her national best-selling book called Power Friending. She's also a co-author of Outsmarting Your Kids Online, a book all about internet safety for kids. Beginning her career in the late 1990s, right in the middle of the dot-com boom, Amber has encountered bounds of success working as a strategist and marketing professional in the technology startup world. In 2006, Amber combined these skills and experiences to build her very own digital agency and has since worked with clients including Microsoft, Xbox, Ford Motor Company, Fast Company, PayPal, and many more. Today, we'll talk to Amber about how businesses can find success by adopting and using technology, how e-commerce can help businesses access greater markets for international trade, and the real impact of e-commerce. Welcome to the show, Amber. Thanks so much for having me. 
Wow. What an extensive, wonderful career you have had. I am so pleased that we have you here on the show with us today. Well, I'm so happy to be joining you today. So uh, thank you so much for getting in touch. I love to start off with a good old origin story. So can you share with our listeners what got you into this space and what was it like to enter this area of business during that dot-com boom in the 90s? I've always been interested in technology. I grew up in uh, rural Prince Edward Island, and even though there wasn't a lot of technology around, I think what it did was really uh, excite me in some ways when I would see new technology come into my life. And so it was something that I was drawn to. And and when I finished my master's in journalism, I moved out to San Francisco and uh, worked out there for a company called Razorfish, which was one of the very early digital agencies that focused on uh, building websites. I also did some work with the Webby Awards and uh, another software startup. So for me, it just felt like a very exciting opportunity to get into the technology space because there really wasn't uh, a, an obvious path to follow. It was as though we were part of actually creating that future. And that has always excited me. So as a woman in tech um, and over the decades now, how have you seen the role of women in tech change over since that, that time in the 90s? I think what's really interesting, if we think about women in tech and look back over the past couple of decades, is that there's so much more support today than there has ever been. And I think that's really exciting as we look forward in terms of the next five to 10 years is knowing that there are these groups that exist to support and to help women who are entering this field. I think at the same time, we're also seeing that technology is a component of every single business, whether you're a tech business or not. And I think that's something important to remember is that even if you want to start a company that's selling products, uh, you need to think about the technology that you use to fuel your business. So more and more technology is affecting all of us who are entrepreneurs, whether we're in the tech industry or not. Absolutely. And something that piqued my interest uh, about your range of work is the book you authored in regards to internet safety for young people. Can you share a little bit about what that experience writing your contributions to that book were and what inspired that for you? I think one of the most exciting things about being someone who has a job that basically allows me to monitor what's happening in the technology space and look into the future is that I guess get to ask a lot of questions. And I also get asked a lot of questions. And I think what was very apparent over the past few years is that many people who are part of my peer group were starting to have children and starting to really wonder how to keep kids safe. And I had this really unique opportunity to dive into that topic and and to write a book about it. And, you know, it was important for me, not just because I'm also a mom, but also because I saw so many parents who were struggling to understand everything from how much screen time is enough. What do I do when my teenager is bullied online? And all those questions that really remained unanswered in mainstream media. Would you say are some best practices for those parents who might be listening, um, who are obviously entrepreneurs themselves, but are curious about how do we ensure our kids are okay online? I think there's a few different things that you can do. And I, I think one of the biggest mistakes that I see parents doing is to say, 
no technology at all and just to cut technology out of the equation. And that that in some sense worries me more in terms of the reality that uh, the average child today needs to have some sense of digital tools and technology and how to use them. But I think it's really about choosing what your child is doing with technology. So as one example, you know, not all screen time is created equal. So you cannot treat screen time in terms of passive, passive activities such as watching YouTube the same as in coding and actually creating something. So I think it's important for parents to remember that it's not about the one hour a day or no tech at all. Instead, it's about what can my child be doing with technology that will actually enrich their lives. That's so fascinating because that also goes into how we can train up this next generation to exist in this, what's going to end up being significantly tech workforce. Absolutely. And and that's the worry I have sometimes, you know, I'll have people who will say to me, you know, some of the top technology CEOs in the world, they don't let their kids use technology. They don't let them have iPads. And it's very easy to do that if the kids are in a luxurious position where perhaps if they decide to pursue a path such as being an artist, that maybe, you know, it doesn't matter in terms of their technical understanding and background. But I would argue for the average person that today's kids need to have a basic understanding, whether it's digital literacy or having some basic skills to be able to adapt and thrive in the future. And those skills could be as simple as understanding how to search, understanding how to identify fake news or misinformation. All of those things are part of what we really need to teach this next generation. Yes, coding is also important and something that we should focus on. But at the end of the day, there are lots of jobs available that will be in the technology space that don't necessarily require you to have coding skills. Maybe you just need critical thinking skills and design skills and all those other things that I think this next generation will need to be taught. Something that is really important to me and I think also links into, you know, this work that you've been that you we were just talking about from your career in regards to young people and their technology use is around how do we remain well um, in a technology sort of um, saturated world. And as someone who works in tech, what practices do you employ for yourself as an entrepreneur um, to remain well through this oversaturated tech space? I think, you know, wellness is something that we probably don't talk enough about, whether you're in the technology industry uh, or in any other type of industry. And and I think that you'll see some of the most successful entrepreneurs. Those are people who have really understood that wellness is an important part of their daily routine. And that can mean everything from ensuring you get enough sleep to ensuring that you eat well. And all of those things seem like common sense. But at the other side of this, there's this pressure to hustle, this pressure that you should pull all-nighters. And and I would say at the end of the day, wellness is something that you need to keep top of mind in terms of being able to really thrive during those difficult times. And there's no way that you can do that if you don't have enough sleep or uh, if you don't focus on exercise. All of those things are so important to the success of your business, but also for your personal well-being. So for me personally, you know, there are a lot of things that I've had to do over the years. I haven't had a sip of alcohol in 18 years. I don't touch alcohol. I make sure that I get, you know, a good eight night, eight hours a night of sleep. I also focus on eating well uh, because my travel schedule is quite hectic. I have to do these things in order to be able to function at, uh, at a, a pretty uh, uh, good rate in terms of being on when I need to be on. So wellness, I think, is something that 
that uh, we need to talk about more and take more seriously. Was there ever a point in your career where you were sort of forced to take wellness on more seriously? Um, something that I'm a big champion and proponent of is making sure people don't have to get to, to hitting that wall to implement these things where we can be more proactive. But was there a moment in your career where you were like, oh, oh shit, I got to get this stuff on lock? <laughs> um, and how did you go about starting to employ those things if that if that was a circumstance that happened to you? You know, I, I think we've all had those moments where we've reached kind of that low point where we know that something has changed. Uh, for me personally, it uh, happened uh, about a year and a half after I had my son. And uh, I was trying to balance a lot. I had just written a book. It was doing really well. I had just started a company. I, I Also, I had a, a child relatively young. And so it had all of these things that I had to, to manage. And I think it just got to be a little bit too much for me. And I, I was traveling with my family and uh, we were going to Florida for for a holiday break. And, um, we were actually driving and on the way home, we had to stop in Atlanta cause I had to fly to Salt Lake city and then come back. And, you know, it was this really complex travel routine that just really wasn't something that uh, I should have been doing at the time. Cause I just had too much on my plate. And, and, uh, I went to the airport and I was also sick and not feeling well. And, and I just couldn't get on the plane, which is just a strange position to be in because, you know, I travel almost every week now, but, uh, I was just really burnt out. And, and my husband came and picked me up. I called the speakers bureau that that I worked for and still work for today. And they were wonderful. They said, you know, don't worry, you know, obviously, you know, you just need a break. And, and, uh, I, I, I think for me, that was my rock, rock bottom in terms of recognizing that, uh, I had really let my health slide. So, um, and when I say health, what I meant is, you know, just not enough sleep, not eating well, not exercising, not prioritizing, you know, my actual health and wellness. And, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be a lot of time, but if you ignore it, I think it can creep up on you like that did. And the addition of also having a, a, a baby was, uh, something I just wasn't ready to handle. And, and quite frankly, in my peer group in the tech industry, I didn't really have anyone to look to, to say, oh, that's how you do it. Uh, thankfully, there are more people now than ever that I think can serve as role models to a younger generation. And that's something that I think is, I, I'm pumped when I get to dive into being a new mom and an entrepreneur uh, on the show, because that's something I'm looking towards myself as we look at family planning. But also it's something that I think we just need to talk more about, just like with wellness. Um, when you were starting your family and you had this crazy schedule and you weren't sleeping enough because you have an, a newborn in your house. Um, can you give any advice to women who might be in that phase of things right now um, of how they can face it, how they can continue to show up every day for all the things on their plate? Um, what would you have to say to them? I think that for women who are, are struggling with right, this right now, as far as how to manage a lot on your plate um, is uh, number one, uh, be open to asking for help. I think we don't do that en enough as women. Uh, that doesn't mean you necessarily have to go and hire help, but maybe, you know, it's a family member or a friend or a neighbor or someone who can help you. Maybe it's your partner. And I think that's really the first step. And, and the second step is that I think as women, something that also happens is that we often experience a lot of guilt if we aren't there for everyone. And I think what I have really learned, and I know there's lots of other women who feel this way as well, is that until I was able to really take care of myself, I wasn't able to take care of other people. And that's when I was able to start to prioritize things such as working out four or five times a week. And, and those things really helped for me to be able to manage my workload and be there for my family. So it took a lot of kind of struggling as far as uh, accepting that, yes, I was going to feel guilty when I was doing those workouts. But at the end of the day, I felt better afterwards. I could, you know, I could work more 
efficiently and be more productive. And again, also be there for my family without being tired and just overall just feeling good. So I think for most women, it's really accepting that it's okay to take that time for yourself. And uh, I, I think that it's something that we all have to do more of. And uh, if you do that, I think, again, you'll be able to see like real um, uh, riches as far as whether it's a successful business or relationship or family situation. I think that uh, if you are, are prioritizing health and wellness at the end of the day, those that helps so many other areas of your life. And it's often so often the part that we can let go of, especially when we're younger um, and don't we have that you know, innate energy and enthusiasm right out of the gate, uh, early twenties, mid twenties, whatever that looks like for folks. I had to remind myself this week, actually, it was like, if you're not well, you actually can't lead your team well. Um, and this isn't a way that, that I would want my employees to feel in terms of a, a little bit of burnout that I was feeling a few, like this past couple of weeks. And so, I mean, I get to talk on this show about the things that are pressing for me too. So as much as you're giving the audience uh, advice, you're giving me advice. Um, but just that, that concept of if we're not well, we can't lead our teams well, we can't be there for our families. So thank you for reiterating that. Um, I wonder, you've spent so much of your career in the tech space. Um, as we're looking at, uh, towards trends that are upcoming, areas of focus, um, what are some trends that are exciting you or some uh, resources that are exciting you right now in the tech space? I think one of the most exciting things that is happening right now in the tech space is that you're seeing some pretty interesting leaders who are really embracing uh, social responsibility, uh, also um, ethical technology. So I think more and more we're seeing those topics kind of rise up. And I think that's very exciting for a couple of reasons is that uh, we could argue that over the past 20 years, we have seen a, a number of tech companies that have built products that maybe no one really needed. And I think what's exciting as we look towards the next five to 10 years is that we're seeing companies and, and leaders such as Mark Benioff from Salesforce really embrace this idea that you have a responsibility to not just do well within your organization, but also to share uh, that success with people, whether it's in your city or around the world. And, and I think this can help us in terms of a turning point as far as solving some of the world's problems. You know, I'd like to see people focus more on problem solving and dealing with issues that are in front of us today, then perhaps just creating a shiny new gadget. And I think we're coming to that point where many entrepreneurs are recognizing that they can be successful, but also do good at the same time. Absolutely. And are there, you, you mentioned, um, the Salesforce, sorry, Salesforce co-founder as, uh, as an example, are there other ones that are exciting you right now that our audience should be checking out and, and keeping on their radar? Absolutely. I mean, I think if you look at uh, a, a company uh, like uh, Nix, uh, you know, it, it, it's a, an amazing example of a, a company that has uh, built essentially uh, what is a, a shopping platform for women to buy bras and underwear. Um, and they have focused on uh, creating campaigns that focus on the, you know, the average woman and different sized women and all of those things that I think also have social implications. And we've seen from their founder that uh, over the years, just focusing on business in a different way in terms of serving an audience that was perhaps underserved and just doing things in a, a really unique way 
way uh, that you're able to uh, basically create a category almost for yourself. In fact, you know, they talk about reinventing intimates. And I think uh, that's a great way of describing what exactly that they've done, you know, whether it's creating, uh, you know, underwear that's leak proof or focusing on things like period panties. I mean, these are are different, perhaps products that uh, the average male entrepreneur did not want to necessarily touch. And it would take uh, a woman like uh, the founder of NYX to be able to create a company like this that uh, really has the best interests of women in mind. And it's a perfect example and also a homegrown one, which makes it so much more special. I do love, I follow them on Instagram and every time I see, you know, a different celeb or influencer wearing their product and also their marketing campaigns are just so thoughtful and inclusive. And it's something that I really appreciate. It makes me also proud to be Canadian, to see other founders uh, shining in that way and building something so impactful in that way. Um, So as I was checking out your uh, website, I noticed that you shared in a recent blog post about um, your company hitting the million dollar mark uh, and that taking five years for for that to happen. I think that it's really important to celebrate wins like we just did with with Nix. Um, But can you share some insights into what that journey has been like? to to hit that seven-figure mark to build your team in the way that you have. Yeah. So, I, I mean, you know, we've seen our annual revenue continuously rise every year. And um, in our fifth year, uh, we broke the $1 million in um, in annual revenue. So that was just within the year. And uh, and it was an important milestone, you know, for me and for the rest of the people who work on our team, because I think it just shows that you can build a business from the ground up without investment dollars. And if you're a service-based company like we are, uh, there is potential to grow in into a significant uh, sized business that is highly profitable and and also takes into account that there's a whole network of people who we work with who are subcontractors. Uh, we, we only have a few employees, so it just made us easier to be able to grow at that level. So I think it's important for businesses to have milestones. Those may be financial, they may be other milestones, but I think we have to look at the right things that are important to reach for. And, you know, having lived through the dot-com boom and seen so many companies that started up and that wasted so much money and hired too quickly and, and rented fancy offices and bought expensive art. I think that it created this sensibility in me that I understood that in order to be a highly profitable company, that we had to be modest as far as things like office space. And we also had to be realistic that there is an ebb and flow to our business and to our projects. And, you know, maybe taking on a bunch of full-time employees might look good from the outside, but we really didn't need to do that. And so we took these steps that were not ego driven and that has become such an important element of our success. And, uh, you know, we sort of went on this trajectory where the first year, I think we made $275,000. And then we got into kind of the, the 300s, then the, the 500s, and then the 700s, and then, you know, broke a million in revenue. And we're well beyond that now. So I, I think that's exciting for people to know that uh, you can do this in this economy, thanks to all of the tools and technologies that you have to do everything from build your brand to build content to use free tools for marketing, it really is possible. And, uh, and I think it's important for people to share these stories. Absolutely. And when you're talking about that tempered, sustainable growth, can you share, um, can we dive into that a little bit more? Because I feel like there is such a uh, veneer around VC funding and, and getting all of the dollars out of the gate and scalability and and all of those very um, shiny um, benchmarks that, that we do celebrate, um, but that this tempered approach 
is about the long run. It's about being here for a while. And can you share with the audience maybe a little bit more about that mindset? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it, it really goes back to what are your goals? I mean, what do you actually want? And, uh, you know, some people want to go out and raise money. You know, they're very excited about going through that process and they feel as though they need that and they want to grow quickly and they want to be the next unicorn. But there's also way more people who would be satisfied and not just satisfied, uh, happy and thrilled to be at, at the point where they've built a very successful small and medium sized business. And and these are the bulk of the businesses that exist when it comes to the Canadian economy, not just now, but also the future of the Canadian economy. And this is why I think it's important to understand that we have so many tools at our disposal that allow you to build a business today. Uh, again, that can have some great growth without necessarily having to go to uh, get uh, investment money. You know, maybe it's something as simple as getting a loan. Maybe you just need a loan for anything from inventory to marketing, and you don't need to go out and actually, uh, you know, get any type of funding from uh, an outside source source such as a VC. So I think it's just understanding, you know, the model that you want to go for and and what you want. You know, I'm a a very strong uh, advocate of uh, freedom and independence. And I think, you know, with the business that I have been able to grow with the help of an amazing team around me, it it really is a business that has grown without any investment and a business that most importantly, you know, is is owned 100 percent by me and didn't require to any type of funding from the get-go. So I, I really think it's possible for anyone who understands how to leverage today's technology and tools and understands the importance of things like content marketing to be able to go out and grow something on your own and not necessarily be uh, distracted by sort of, you know, the the, the shininess of uh, having uh, a new business and having VC money. In, in some cases, not all, it can complicate things. And, you know, I've seen that firsthand. Absolutely. And I, I'm glad you bring up content marketing um, because that's something that I think is is a really powerful tool right now in terms of digital businesses. And we're seeing, especially in a lot in the personal development space, but also a lot of online products that are doing content marketing exceptionally well. Can you share with us a little bit about why you think content marketing is so powerful? I think that what we're experiencing right now is that every single business, I don't care if you are a hardcore technology business or a service-based business or an e-commerce company, at the end of day, you have to be relevant to the audience that you're trying to reach. And there's no better or cost-effective way to be relevant than to actually create your own content that fills the channels where the audiences you're trying to reach live. You know, as one example, there's a huge opportunity on LinkedIn right now with video. And, uh, you know, you see some people who are taking advantage of this opportunity for brand building, for business building. And you can see the numbers that they're getting. I mean, in the thousands and thousands of views. And if you look at it from this perspective that, hey, if you're trying to get a new customer or a a new client at the end of the day, if they are constantly seeing new things that you're creating in the digital space, uh, new content that you're sharing, if you're establishing yourself as a thought leader in the media space as well, those type of things, I think, are things that people care about today and uh, will help you actually grow your business. So, you know, I've always 
always invested uh, not just time, but also money in digital marketing. I do advertisements uh, in the digital space and uh, work with the team to be able to make sure we have regular content coming out. And I think most businesses uh, can really reap the benefits of doing just that. So content marketing, I think, is a must for pretty much any business in, in 2019. Do you have any tips for folks who, you know, we have a lot of SME owners who are listening, small, medium enterprise listeners and, um, the selling of it, especially when you have a small team or if it's your solopreneur, um, finding the confidence to actually put yourself out there to sell, to be seen on screen, to, to get your word and your product out there. Do you have any advice for folks who are struggling to do that? Well, I I think, you know, I can give just a a few tips here. I'll give three tips. The first tip is that people want to follow individuals, not companies. So that doesn't mean if you're the founder of company that it has to be of the company, it has to be you. I mean, we see many examples of businesses that have people such as maybe the the CTO who becomes that person who is out front. So find someone, whether it's you or someone in your organization that is happy sort of being the face of the business in the digital space. So that's the first thing. People want to follow people, not companies. So make sure you have that person who will act as that ambassador for your company. The second thing is invest in video and it doesn't have to be uh, prohibitively expensive. You can simply use a a new smartphone. All of them are, are quite advanced as far as the video capabilities and create video content and uh, put content out into the space, uh, again, that is in video format. I think, you know, video can be the most compelling type of content to put out there or even audio like we're doing today. Uh, But don't accept that, you know, maybe just, you know, sharing things on social media is the way that you become a a really exciting and highly engaged brand or business. You really want to create some of your own original content as well. And I I think uh, the third thing to remember is the engagement piece and not underestimating the opportunity that exist in your private messages. You know, if you were to look in my Twitter DMs, for example, you'll see uh, not just, you know, frivolous conversations happening, but real business actually taking place. And and so I think there's an opportunity to connect with people, to follow people, uh, to share their content, to build relationships. And then, you know, eventually after you've done that for a few months, if you have an ask or you have a need, you know, it's a much easier play to ask them after you've already built that relationship. Absolutely. Um, in that vein of getting your voice out there, getting yourself out there, there are tech is a big part of that proliferation. You shared you shared some tips around video specifically, um, but in terms of trends that you're seeing outside of the content marketing space more broadly within entrepreneurship within business, what are some top tech trends you're you're following or you're seeing for this year that you could let our audience know about? Well, I, I think there there is still an opportunity in uh, live video, and I think there's something still special about doing live, and that's probably why LinkedIn is one uh, example of a platform that is starting to put some effort into creating technology that allows you to go live. I think we still love that feeling of that real-time engagement. So from a technology standpoint, I think that's a really good first place to start. Uh, and I think the second uh, thing in terms of uh, technology innovations when it comes to content marketing is that we truly do have incredible technology in today's newest smartphones. And uh, I say that having come from traditional television, knowing it used to be very expensive to produce high quality content, uh, but now it is possible to shoot some of those videos on some of the newer smartphones. And as long as you have an external microphone for good audio, you can create some pretty excellent content. So the barrier for entry is much lower than it used to be. And, And I think the third thing is just from an analytics standpoint, we're seeing some really phenomenal tools. I use one called Agora Pulse, which 
which is a content management tool for social that allows me to get some great backend analytics as far as understanding the type of content my audience wants and really diving into those analytics. So, you know, these are all things that are affordable, that are accessible. And at the end of the day, it really comes down to, you know, ensuring that you have a plan in place when it comes to pushing content into those different channels. So this is a question that uh, we have had the audience engage with us a little bit about it in regards to going from corporate sector and jumping into entrepreneurship. So this is going back a bit to your origin story. Um, you were with Microsoft and if I'm not mistaken, you took the leap towards entrepreneurship after, after you were with them. How, what was it like to go from working for somebody to then working for yourself? And how did you, how did you prep that transition? I think, you know, I've always had that entrepreneurial spirit. And I know people always talk about this who are small business owners in terms of uh, always knowing that they wanted to run their own business. And uh, for me, I spent a few years working for other businesses, uh, like you mentioned, in San Francisco, and then doing some work over a couple of years for Microsoft Canada through an agency. And I think, you know, after that experience, I felt like I was ready to go out on my own. Um, In between that, I also did quite a bit of uh, television reporting as an employee. And it really wasn't until I actually uh, got a client uh, that we were willing to step away and uh, start a company. So uh, my brother and I were, and my husband, Chris, we were um, doing some work with Tony Robbins, who's a very well-known uh, uh, coach and uh, speaker. Uh, he's he's well-known for his conferences that he puts on all around the world. And he had engaged us to do some consulting with him. And it turned into a bigger opportunity. And it really gave us uh, the freedom to step away from full-time employment and start a company uh, because we did have that one uh, key uh, client who was really a partner for us in the early days. So I think for most businesses uh, and most people thinking about starting businesses and leaving a full-time job, it really helps if you build up to the point where financially, you know, you can walk away. And even if you have to kind of bootstrap things a little bit, uh, you do have that one client uh, who will be with you at least for the short term who can help you through that transition. I find that that's like the biggest piece of advice I like to give people sometimes come to me at events or whatever. And they're, they're like, do I quit my job? Like, is it time? Like, I feel so inspired and ready. It's like you have runway, like you are working for an organization that is paying you potentially offering you benefits, like giving you an opportunity to strategically prep for this exit. Um, and just reminding people that like, they can take it slow. They don't have to leap right out of the gate and increase maybe the potential stress on them. Um, but jumping off of that note of like that key client, um, Tony Robbins runs multiple businesses under so many different verticals, um, and has been wildly successful. Are there any, um, insights or tips that you have from your time working with him in those early days of your business that you could share with our audience? I think probably one of the most important things, and, and you know, I learned this not just from working with him, but also from attending his events in the early days of our partnership with him, is that uh, he always talks about uh, how most unhappy people are unhappy because they can't let go of the blueprint that they have planned in their life. And, and you know, what he means by that is, you know, if you're a woman who perhaps all her life believes certain things that, you know, by 32, I'm going to have two kids, a house with a garage, you know, a nice new car, uh, I'm going to be married to this type of person, if you have all of those things in your mind that you think you've figured out for year after year after year, and that's kind of the blueprint of, of what you think success looks like. I think it's important for most people to take that blueprint and, and, you know, take it and virtually kind of crush it up and throw it out the window. Uh, Because uh, for the most part, that can actually just be harmful in terms of your expectations for where you should 
at a certain point in your life. So, you know, for me, I grew up at a time where it was believed that, you know, I, I should have a kid at a certain age, I should be married at a certain age. And, you know, I did none of those things that were kind of traditional in many ways. And it was okay. And I was able to say that, you know, I don't have to stick to that blueprint that I had once imagined, because I am creating my own path and, and I'm doing things differently. And I don't have to know you know, one day to the next day, what is actually going to take place. And in some ways, you know, there's been all these great kind of detours that have been advantageous. So I think just being a little bit more open-minded about the path that you're on and fully taking responsibility for where you're at and where you're heading. And that can open you up to so many possibilities that you couldn't have even imagined uh, when you do have that willingness to stay open and almost go with the flow. Absolutely. I mean, I always joke, and this has happened to me recently as well, is that uh, most of the most exciting jobs that I've had or opportunities or speaking events or, you know, hosting uh, opportunities have been opportunities where I was not the first pick. And what I mean by that is that, you know, these individuals had for some reason or another picked other people to do jobs and it didn't work out. Uh, But they always sort of thought of me as, oh, you know what, maybe we should contact Amber. And, uh, and I never, you know, answered those phone calls or emails with any type of spite and said, oh, well, you weren't, you know, I wasn't your first pick. I don't want to do this. You know, I have then embraced it instead and, and said that, you know, I'm happy to be second pick. I'm in this for the long game and I'm in it for, you know, a, a number of decades to come. And and that means that uh, you have to be patient and understand that uh, people need to, to think about you first as far as when they're looking for someone who does what you do. Uh, but you won't always be the first pick for everything. And uh, if you are concerned, Consistent, however, and you are top of mind, uh, it, it get, does give you opportunities that take you in new and different directions than perhaps you initially anticipated. I love that. And it leads into uh, this next question beautifully around being in it for the long game and the legacy play. Uh, what for you, Amber, is your bigger dream for your impact through your work uh, and through your business? I think I'm really figuring that out right now. And uh, I think lots of entrepreneurs go through this is that I feel as though we've finally gotten the business to a point right now that I can start to pursue some of those projects that are really kind of uh, passion projects for me. It's not to say that they won't make money, but things that, you know, maybe the potential isn't quite obvious right away, but things that I really care about. And I'm kind of going through that now as far as different causes that I want to focus on and different projects I want to be involved in. And, and we're at the point in the business where the business is sort of a smooth operating machine. We've got lots of work and, and lots of runway. And so I think that it comes to the point now where I'm ready to do some of those things. So I think there's a lot more to come, um, but I needed to feel that sort of financial stability um, and that strength in our company before I was ready to go to that next stage. Can you share what is in your heart? Like, what are those, what areas of focus do you get you going? Like, what are the pieces that you're so excited to be able to maybe contribute to in the future? Sure. So I, I think there are two things um, and both of these things probably unsurprisingly uh, focus on uh, women. Um, the first thing that I'm focused on that is a project that uh, hopefully I will get up and running over the next few months with uh, a couple of partners who are already on board is uh, a project where we build out uh, a business competition for women uh, that also provides education along the way. So that is a priority that I think if you follow me on social, you'll see that come into play over the next few months. Uh, this 
second thing that uh, I am also doing, which is more of a passion project and is sort of early stages, but uh, I, I have been following a number of different cases when it comes to issues of uh, sexual ass- assault uh, and uh, how women are often uh, tried when they go to court and often discredited. And I believe, along with a couple of other people, that technology can play a pretty incredible role in terms of that reporting piece for women uh, and ensure that women who do show the the bravery to be able to go in front of a court and and bring the person who has assaulted them uh, and and face that person, I think technology can help in a way in terms of that that woman not being discredited. And so um, this is early stages for this, but I think uh, using technology to help women who have been victims of sexual assault, uh, I think that's something that uh, is uh, in the uh, near future for me. Thank you for committing to that work and also for leveraging tech in such a uh, impactful way. I am really excited to follow along as you as you do both of those endeavors. Our last question that we ask all of our guests on the show um, is this. What advice do you have for women entrepreneurs specifically so that they can thrive in their lives and their careers? I think the the best advice I have for women entrepreneurs is that it is really important that you know your value and uh, that you are confident enough to speak up for yourself. And I guess this is more of kind of a, you know, a red flag that I see happening today is there's a lot of women doing a lot of stuff for free um, and it irks me. (laughs) And uh, and I think that, you know, it's time uh, for women who are doing good work and, and are are spending time on, on certain projects that are important to them is to understand that your, your value and to be able to speak up for yourself, whether that's a raise if maybe you're in a traditional job uh, or maybe you are speaking at a conference or maybe you are doing some other type of work. I, I, I think that it's time that women stop working for free. And uh, if I could see an end to that in my lifetime, I would be very happy. I love that so much. Thank you. And I know that I said that was the last question, but this is inspiring. Another question that I think is key for our audience is you've worked with so many massive brands. And when we're talking about asking for our worth and, and, and not doing this unpaid work anymore, I feel like how can we, uh, or what advice do you have? I'm asking so much advice because I feel like you're just such a wealth of knowledge. And that's the point of the show, um, for, reaching out to large brands that maybe we didn't think we could actually work with and, and going for it and pitching them and making that happen, which you have done time and again. Um, what advice do you have to, to make those larger partnerships actually come to life? I think, you know, I, I've just spent a day pitching a project. So I think this is dear and dear to my heart. And I think one of the most important things that you can do is make it really difficult for people to say no. And what I mean by that is that you need to, whether it's in the pitch process or just emailing or, or cold calling someone, you need to make sure that you've done your homework. You understand what that brand cares about, what's important to them, timelines of things that are coming up. Uh, you need to use language that they use. And and most importantly, you don't want to make them think a lot about what this partnership looks like. You don't want them to have to do the heavy lifting. You want to present it to them in a way that is important and, and impactful for them as well. So, you know, it can be as simple as understanding that uh, you can use social media in pretty exciting ways to find people who work at these different companies to reach out to them. And the second thing, if you want to make a really big impact, I don't see enough people doing this, but uh, instead of sending a, an email that is paragraphs and paragraphs long, uh, try, try doing a little video, you know, do a, a two minute video 
with why you want to talk to them, why you want their time, what you want to do and send them that video. I've only had two people in my lifetime who have done this with me. And I have spent so much time with both of those people because I respected the efforts that they put into creating this quick little video on their phone versus sending me yet another email. So, you know, use video to its full advantage and uh, that will help you uh, get in the door. I love it. I, and I appreciate the the returning theme of let's get to video. Let's don't let's go all in on video. So thank you for that. And thank you for this entire conversation, for sharing your wealth of knowledge and experience with us and our audience. Um, it was such a pleasure to, to talk with you today, Amber. Thank you so much for having me. And where can everyone find you online? Yeah, so pretty easy to find. I'm on Twitter and uh, pretty much every other social platform at Amber Mac. And uh, you can also visit my website at ambermac.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week on the Thrive Podcast, where we help women entrepreneurs start and build thriving businesses. Thank you to the Startup Canada production team, BDC and Scotiabank for helping us elevate women entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca forward slash women to download the playbook resources for women entrepreneurs with a comprehensive list of support for you and your business. And visit startupcan.ca for the latest episodes of the Startup Canada podcast hosted by Rivers Corbett. Make sure to visit CoreSpace, K-A-U-R dot space to learn to better integrate work, wellness and impact into your everyday life. Until next time, I'm Gomal Minhas. It's time to thrive. Thrive.